It is a pleasure to see everyone that's here this morning as we worship our God this morning. Uh, I want to draw your attention to the world that is around us and the criticisms that often are thrown at those who call in the name of God. A number of years ago, there was a TV show on, I'm not going to say what show it was, but there was a TV show on, and in this particular TV show, they had someone who was a proclaimed Christian, and, and they had gone to be with uh, another family uh, for a, a trial period of time. And in doing so, the other family were a family of atheists or agnostics, and they, they started to question this person, why are you a Christian, and why do you believe all of this stuff? Don't you know this is all just a bunch of man-made nonsense. And in this TV show, the Christian really had no response. And the world enjoys setting things up to make it look like if you're a Christian, it must be because you haven't really thought things through. Because you haven't really weighed the evidence. Because you haven't really paid attention to science and things that you can actually observe and measure and show to be the case or show to be true. But this morning I want us to think about the fact that the reality is that there is much evidence for the existence of Christ and for his death, burial, and resurrection. As Christians, we don't all need to be experts in every scholarly rabbit trail in the woods, so to speak. But we do need to know enough information that if somebody asks us, we are able to give a solid defense of why we believe what we believe. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And as you turn to Luke chapter 1, I want us this morning to think about the New Testament's claims about Jesus' existence and the historical evidence for the, his existence. I want us also to think about the New Testament claims about Jesus' miracles and the historical evidence for those miracles. And then I want us this morning to think about how much weight we will give the Bible as we hold up our faith in truth of Christianity. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Notice what the text says, Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. As Luke writes his gospel, he's writing to Theophilus, and he says, Theophilus, I want you to know that the things that you have been taught are not just a bunch of fairy tales. They're not just a bunch of legends. These were things that had been witnessed by others, and they have been discussed by others. And you can go and you can talk to those witnesses yourself, Theophilus, and ascertain whether or not the things that they said are true. He says these were things that have the report of eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. 
probably a reference to the apostles and others who saw these things happen firsthand. In Luke's day, those folks are still alive. And if you wanted to go and ask those individuals, what is it that you really see, you could do so. Of course, 2,000 years after the fact, we don't have that opportunity. But Luke says, the reason I'm writing these things down is because I went and I talked to those witnesses. I investigated those things. And the reason I'm writing these things down is so that you can know exactly what happened? Luke isn't just writing a story for the sake of writing a story. He claims that he's writing things so that this individual, Theophilus, could know exactly what happened. Now that's important. Because it speaks to the fact that these people that wrote the New Testament, at least Luke, as he writes Luke in the book of Acts, is saying, I investigated, I talked to eyewitnesses about Jesus and the things that Jesus did and what happened to Jesus. And as we look in the book of Acts, the things that happened after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the growth of the church. It wasn't written as a story. It was written to be a historical document. And so Luke is a little bit different from some of the other Gospels in the sense that he wants his readers to know immediately that this is intended to be a historical document. In fact, when you read Luke and you read about the birth of Christ and you read about certain events that happened or that happened during the life of Christ, he is very careful to name names of kings and governors and people in different positions of power so that those people in his original audience, and even today, we as we go back and we look at non-biblical sources, can go and, and find out, yes, this person really was king. This person really was governor. This person really did hold this office. And some of these things, for years, people that were not Christians made fun of them because they didn't have record of Erastus, for instance, being a treasurer in Ephesus. But then, lo and behold, an archaeologist discovered a temple. And on the side of the temple, or on the side of this building, there was a plaque written to Erastus, the treasurer of the city. And so we can trust the historical accuracy of Luke. But Luke's not the only one. Notice what John says in John chapter 21 and verse 24. John chapter 21 and verse 24. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which I suppose, if, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. John claims, as he writes his gospel, that he is the disciple who saw the things which he records. He claims to be an eyewitness. He doesn't say, I got these tales from other folks. I got these tales because they were legends that were passed down. I was a witness of these things. 
Notice what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2. Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance was that, uh, as this was made to him by his majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, the things that I have talked about in this letter. And there are many who believe that Mark was his secretary who wrote down the gospel that you and I now know as Mark. Peter says, these things, we didn't just make up. These things that we've been talking about weren't given to us by legend or by stories or cleverly devised tales. He says, I was an eyewitness of this. And then he makes allusion, I believe, to Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. And he says, I heard for myself the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Finally, when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he's talking about what happened in, in the days following Jesus' death burial. He talks also about his resurrection. He says, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, he appeared to one untimely born. He appeared to me also. Paul says the things that I teach and the things that I go around telling people about Jesus, I tell because witnesses saw them. The significance of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that Paul says Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And Paul says, this is the gospel. This is what I teach. And there are witnesses who saw him live and die but there are witnesses who saw him in his resurrected state. And he identifies some of them by name, but then he says 500 of them saw him together as they were assembled. And he says some of those folks have died, but most of them are still here. If you want to really find out what they saw, you can go 
and ask them is the implication. In other words, when we look at the New Testament, the stories that we have of Jesus' life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, those aren't just tales. Those aren't just legends. The gospel records them from the perspective of eyewitness accounts that have been written down. The non-Christian says, yeah, that's, that's good. That's great. But you would expect those folks to say those things. You would expect those early believers of Christ to believe those things. We'll come back to that. But many of our skeptical friends and neighbors fail to realize that even agnostic Christians even, I mean, agnostic non-Christians, and even some atheists, historians, acknowledge that Jesus really did live, and that he really did die. Now, they deny that he was God. They deny maybe that, uh, that he was raised from the dead, but they acknowledge his existence. Why would they do that? The answer, well, I'm saying as some agnostic scholars, some atheist scholars will acknowledge that Jesus really did live and that he really did die. And the reason they believe that is because of the overwhelming abundance of information that exists in, in, in ancient records of Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection. For instance, Michael Grant, who is an atheist, wrote in his book, Historians Review of the Gospels, he says it has been objected that no authentic life of Jesus can be written at all because our information is insufficient and cannot ever uh, be anything else. That I believe to be an unduly pessimistic conclusion. True, a great deal is missing, he says. Nevertheless, his public career can, to a considerable extent, be reconstructed. Michael Grant, the atheist, who is a respected historian, acknowledges that Jesus really did live. Now again, he's, he denies some of the things about Jesus. He denies that he was God, but he says you can't get around the fact that Jesus really did live and was a real person. As we think about the New Testament, one of the things that we notice about Jesus is his miracles. And we could make a long list, I suppose, of all the things that Jesus did, but just for brevity's sake. We know that Jesus healed all sorts of illnesses and diseases, according to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, as the crowds brought all sorts of uh, the impaired to him. We know that Jesus is claimed to have had great wisdom and teaching, as Matthew chapter 7 to 28 and 29 state that everyone was amazed at his great teaching that he did. We know also from the book of Matthew that Jesus was arrested by the Jews, that he was tried by Pilate and crucified, Matthew chapter 27, verses 22 through 26. And we know that Jesus was raised from the dead according to Matthew in chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. But what does secular history record about these claims? This is where things get fun if you're into archaeology and that sort of thing. Perhaps one of the ancient uh, earliest attestations, statements about Jesus, comes from Tacitus, the Roman historian who was not a Christian. He notes this in his book, The Annals, chapter 14, or book 14. 
verse 44. He says, he, that is Nero, falsely charged with guilt and punishment the most with the ex most exquisite tortures, the person commonly called, the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for the enormities, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procreator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. What's interesting about this quote from Tacitus is that he's not a Christian. He's kind of speaking in a disparaging way about Christians. But he makes the statement or the observation as a point of fact that Jesus really did live and that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. He identifies him as the procreator or governor, we would say, of Judea during the reign of Tiberius. Exactly like the New Testament says, happened to Jesus. Now, he doesn't say Christians claim this. He states it as a matter of fact that this is what happened to Jesus. For someone who is wishing to disparage Christians, he could have simply said, this is what they believe, or they wrongly believe this, but that's not, that's not what he says. He says it as a matter of fact. He wrote that about 100 A.D., Another source called the Mara Bara Seraphim, written about 70 AD, is a literature, work of literature that seems to make fun of Christians. Uh, they make fun of several different legends. But notice what it says. It says, what advantage did the Athenians gain by putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as judgment for their crime. What advantage did the men of Samos gain from burning Pythagoras? In a moment, their land was covered with sand. What advantage did the Jews gain by executing their wise king? It was just after that that their kingdom was abolished. God justly avenged these three wise men. Seems to be a statement that underscores the fact that Jesus, like Pythagoras, Jesus, like Socrates, was executed by their own, underscoring that Jesus really did live and that he really did die. Another ancient source, Lucian of Samosata, was also someone who hated Christians. He wrote a play called The Death of Perigene. And he writes, the Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites, who was crucified on that account. Again, an ancient source not Christian, that establishes that Jesus did, did in fact live and died. And not just die in any general sense, but was crucified. Just as scripture says that he suffered. Those are ancient Roman sources. Ancient Jewish sources say some of the same things. The most well-known is Josephus. He wrote in 95 A.D., one account of his writing, or one version of his writing, says, Now there was a man about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets 
that foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extent to this day. So that's just Josephus in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, book 18, chapter 3 and verse 3. Of course, atheists say, well, you can't trust that source. You can't trust Josephus. Obviously, uh, it has been added to uh, by Christians. Of course, Josephus was a Jew who did not like Christians. He was a Jewish general who had been uh, captured by the Romans in the Jewish revolt and uh, was writing a history of the Jews for Trajan, if I remember correctly. So they say, you can't trust him. Trust this source. Look how it's been added to. Look at the things it says about Jesus. Obviously, a Jewish man wouldn't have written that. But that's not the only version of Josephus' writing that we have. Uh, there is also a, a Babylonian version. When the Jews left Jerusalem, they went to Babylon. They, many of the recordings, many of the things that they had had in Jerusalem, they took with them uh, and uh, wrote them as well in Babylon. Here's a different translation of that. He says, at this time there is a wise man called Jesus. And his conduct was good and was known to be virtuous. Many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that, they had appeared, that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive according, accordingly. And this was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted the wonders. In other words, Josephus records that Jesus actually did live. Now, he discounts the, some of the things about Jesus, but he acknowledges the fact that even in the first century that his disciples claimed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that he had done wonderful things, that he had wonderful teaching and that people were coming over to him because of those teachings, just as Scripture says. David Sperling, who is a well-known and respected Jewish scholar, talks about what some of the Jewish writings say about Jesus. One of those is the Babylonian Talmud. He quotes it. It says, It has been taught on the eve of Passover they hanged Yeshua. That's the Hebrew uh, pronunciation of Jesus. And an announcer went out in front of him for 40 days. He's going to be stoned because he practiced sorcery and enticed and led astray let Israel astray, but anyone who knows anything in his favor, let him come and plead on his behalf. But not having found anything in his favor, they've hanged him on the eve of Passover. What is that saying? Babylonian Talmud, Sanhedrin 43. A Jewish writing. Talking about Jesus. They wanted to stone him, but they didn't do that. Instead, he was hanged. And, of course, Jewish law did not permit anyone to be hanged. But that's what they did. And why did they do it? Because he was leading astray Israel through sorcery. If you don't believe in miracles, and yet miracles are being done, what might you call those miracles? Sorcery. Witchcraft. And even the Bible records that the Pharisees say to Jesus, you drive out demons by Beelzebub or by the power of Beelzebub. Even the Bible records that's what the Jews were saying about Jesus and his power to do miracles. 
Let's think about Jesus and his miracles and his resurrection. Toledoth Yeshua, as quoted by Goldstein, another Jewish scholar, says the insurgents with him replied that if Yeshua was the Messiah, he should give them a convincing sign. They therefore brought to him a lame man who had never walked. Yeshua spoke over the man the letters of the ineffable name, meaning Yahweh, and the man was lame no more. Yet another sign did he give them. He, they brought to him a leper. He spoke the letters in the ineffable name, and the leper was healed. Thereupon they worshipped him as the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. Goldstein, a Jewish expert, Jewish rabbi, acknowledges that this passage from the Toledith Yeshua talks about Jesus' ability to do miracles. There are several accounts. Justin Martyr, 165 A.D., Josephus and Toledoth Yeshua all speak to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, or at least that his disciples claimed that he had raised from the dead. Justin Martyr, for instance, 165 AD, writes, A godless and lawless heresy sprung from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, whom we crucified. But his disciples stole him by night from the tomb, and now deceived men, asserting that he was risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. Again, the Toledoth Yeshua says on the first day of the week, he, his bold followers came to Queen Helen who, and with the report that he who was slain was truly the Messiah and that he was not found in his grave. He ascended into heaven as he prophesied. Diligent search was made and he was not found in the grave where he had been buried. A gardener had taken him. Of course, Josephus' account. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion, yet he was alive. Accordingly, he, if he, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. In other words, all three of these ancient sources that were written by non-Christians acknowledge that the tomb was found empty. And they give different reasons for it. One says, well, maybe his disciples came and stole the body and hid it. And they make up these excuses. Maybe a gardener had taken the body. And that's where we begin asking questions about all these witnesses who claim that they'd seen Jesus alive. Why would they do that? Why would they die? Most of the apostles suffered an untimely death because of their claims. Some of them would die, even as they claimed that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. None of them made financial gains from their teaching because they were outcasts from Jewish society. They were rejected by Jewish circles. They were not accepted by the Gentile society. And yet Christianity spread rapidly. If Jesus really did die, why did the Jewish authorities of his day not simply produce the body? Ancient sources record that he lived, that he was crucified, and that the tomb was found empty. Where was last question for us this morning is what weight will you put into the New Testament on the New Testament was it just a legend as we've already seen the Gospels claimed all these things were written by eyewitnesses can we trust those manuscripts can we say that they're true all of them are written by 90 AD within a lifetime that all these things are said to have happened the earliest manuscript we have is to John Dryland's manuscript in the British Museum. dates to about 130 A.D., just 40 years after the Gospel of John was written. 
1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes in 55 A.D., he said, these are the things that I told you in 52 A.D., just 20 years after Jesus' death. And he claims these to be true. And some of the oldest manuscripts we have are, are of Paul's writing. When you think about the manuscripts that we have, there are over 5,400 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts of the New Testament. Many of them are within 100 years or 150 years of when these things actually happened. Compare these to the works of other ancient writers. Homer's Iliad is said to have been written in 800 B.C. The earliest known copy is 400 B.C., 400 years later. And there's only 643 copies of Homer's Iliad, yet no one doubts that Homer wrote the Iliad. Herodotus' history was written in 480 B.C., between 480 and 425 B.C., the latest, earliest copy we have was written in 900 A.D., 1,500 years after the fact, and only eight copies of it exist. Thucydides' history was written between 460 and 400 B.C. The earliest copy that exists was 900 A.D., and only eight copies of it exist. Plato's Republic Written in 400 B.C., the earliest copy that we have of it is 900 A.D. It's from 800, or 900 A.D., 1,500 years after the fact, and only seven ancient copies exist. Demosthenes, his writings are said to have been written in 300 B.C. The earliest known copy of any of his writings date to 1100 A.D., and only 200 copies of it exist. We could go on and on. The reality is that the New Testament was written between 50 and 100 A.D., and the earliest copy is 130 A.D. It's from 130 A.D. Many are from within 200 A.D., and there's over 5,400 copies of the New Testament. Bountiful evidence that the New Testament that we have was the New Testament that existed in antiquity, written by eyewitnesses who said, we really did see Jesus die and be buried, and raised from the dead. But even if you don't trust those sources, sources from ancient times outside Christianity, repeat the story that Jesus was crucified, and that his tomb was found empty. We don't have to be ashamed of believing in Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he really did come because of his love for us to live a perfect life, to go and be crucified at the hands of cruel men to carry the guilt of our sin, that we could be united with the Father. His tomb was found empty. Where did his body go? Would men die for something they knew was false? For things that they received no financial gain from? When they received instead the rejection of their families and society around them? Why would they die for that lie? If the tomb was really empty, where is Christ today? I suggest to you he's in heaven with his Father, interceding for those who will call on his name. And if that's what you need to do this morning, by being united with Jesus and his burial and resurrection through baptism, won't you come? Just together we stand and sing.